0: Hello and welcome to the Warden Fintech podcast. I am your host, David Gogel, and I am joined by Arthur Hayes, the CEO and co-founder of BitMEX. BitMEX, also known as the Bitcoin Mercantile Exchange, is a cryptocurrency-based derivatives exchange based in Hong Kong. The company offers centrally cleared futures and options on Bitcoin versus fiat and other cryptocurrencies, also known as altcoins, with up to 100 times leverage. BitMEX has partnered with experienced traders creating the most liquid derivatives exchange. BitMEX is built by finance professionals with over 40 years of combined experience and offers a comprehensive API and supporting tools. BitMEX is now handling on average $100 million per day in the total value of products traded. Welcome, Arthur.
1: Hi, thank you, David.
0: So to start us off, uh, can you tell us about your background and your career how you became interested in cryptocurrencies and how you decided to launch BitMEX?
1: Sure. Uh, so I was a 2008 graduate of the undergraduate um, Wharton program with a concentration in finance. I, like many of my classmates, uh, went into uh, banking right after school. I uh, I did study abroad a junior year and I loved Hong Kong so much that I wanted to get a job. So. Uh, Luckily, I got a um, job at Deutsche Bank in the Hong Kong office, and I became a exchange-traded fund uh, market maker. So for subsequent five years, I was the uh, head market maker for the Asia-Ex-Japan-Australia ETF business for Deutsche Bank and then Citibank. And then in 2013, um, I was let go from my role as a trader, and I was looking for the next uh, thing that I wanted to get into, or didn't really want to continue working at a bank, and I had read about Bitcoin when it had spiked to I think 250 dollars in April in 2013, and so I had some time on my hands, so I started researching what Bitcoin was, what people were doing with it, and I you know went down the rabbit hole and became very interested in this new uh, currency and ecosystem. So much so that I decided decided to start trading it with uh, my own money, uh, I started trading uh, arbitrage between the then only futures exchange at the time called ICBit and uh, MT Docs. I did that for a while. I got into doing arbitrage between um, different spot exchanges for Bitcoin. And then I determined that I wanted to start my own um, derivative exchange because I felt that the offerings at the time were not suitable for what I thought Bitcoin and the whole industry would become. So I reached out to my network in Hong Kong, and I met my two other co-founders, Ben Dilo and Sam Reed. Um, ben has a background as a high-frequency trading technologist at some leading hedge funds and investment banks, and Sam is a full-stack uh, web developer. So in January 2014, I pitched in the idea for BitMEX, and we decided to uh, make a go at it, and uh, no, the rest is history.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about crypto derivative trading, so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what is Bitcoin, uh, what are cryptocurrencies, what are derivatives, and what problems do they solve? Um, so
1: I guess Bitcoin at a very high level is it's a purely electronic form of money, um, where the intrinsic value is essentially the usefulness of the Bitcoin network. and It's a censorship-resistant form of value transfer, meaning that there is no government or central bank that is telling you what the value of Bitcoin should be. It floats in a market just like any other currency. Um, And subsequently, um, because of the innovation that Bitcoin has brought to digital money, there have been what's called altcoins or other types of either digital tokens or uh, digital currencies mimicked on Bitcoin or mimicked on other applications. And then we move to the purely derivative space. <clears throat> at the moment, the um, biggest use case for Bitcoin and other digital currencies is, is speculation. So once people buy Bitcoin, they they wonder, what can I do with this Bitcoin? We're not at the stage yet where you can use Bitcoin to buy a, a cup of coffee or pay for a newspaper article. Really, it's I think that there needs to be competition in terms of, Um, decentralized money and the way value is transferred around the world. So I'm going to buy Bitcoin and hold it and hope for uh, appreciation in terms of a number of transactions, users, and and the price of it itself. And so once people acquire Bitcoin, they then um, move up the ladder and they start speculating on the future price of Bitcoin and other digital currencies. And that's where BitMEX comes in. So we use Bitcoin as a common form of collateral because um, number one, it's programmable. So we can take deposits and withdrawals 24-7 without any form of human interaction, and it costs us no money to onboard a customer. So that's why we love Bitcoin as a form of collateral. Once our customers have Bitcoin as collateral, we then offer them a full suite of financial trading products. And right now, most of our products are centered around Bitcoin versus another fiat currency, like U.S. dollar or Japanese yen or another altcoin versus Bitcoin, like the Ether Bitcoin exchange rate. And so we offer the traders the ability to trade with very, very high leverage, um, up to 100x on our most popular products. And so I think as the market evolves, derivatives will be used more in the traditional sense for commercial hedging purposes. But right now, it's purely a speculation game.
0: You touched on this a little bit, but can you describe maybe what your most popular product is today, maybe what your most popular contract type is?
1: So um, our most popular underlying is a Bitcoin U.S. dollar product, and it's the most liquid trading product for the Bitcoin U.S. dollar exchange rate globally. And the structure of it is in a term, in the form of a perpetual swap. Uh, so it's a combination of eight-hour futures contracts that continuously rolls. So we invented this product to uh, solve the problem that a lot of our clients who aren't very uh, sophisticated in terms of trading financial derivatives didn't understand why a futures contract had to expire. So to make the trading experience more robust for our retail customers, we created this product that doesn't have an expiry date. And to anchor the price of the product to the spot price of Bitcoin, we charge an interest rate between longs and shorts every eight hours. And so that's where it came up with the name for a, a perpetual swap. And this is our most popular product, and it trades anywhere between 50 to 100 million U.S. dollars a day in trading volumes.
0: Today, is most of your customer base retail investors or institutional investors? Which countries most of those investors are based today?
1: So, I'd say that ninety five percent of our customers are uh, retail. Um, it's usually someone who has gotten into Bitcoin, as I said, and they had Bitcoin and now they want to do something with it, and they start uh, speculating with it. The other five percent uh, are ex bankers who now act as market makers and liquidity providers. I would say that there's very um, little institutional presence in the Bitcoin space, um mainly because you know the volumes you know I think they're great now, but they need to be much larger for. You know, a large hedge fund or money manager to put significant amounts of money to work without impacting the market. And then there's also issues around how do you store Bitcoin and the counterparty risk on exchanges. So we don't see that much institutional um, trading on Bitcoin, but obviously the interest given the recent price rise is picking up. And then geographic location. Uh, right now, the majority of our customers are the biggest country is China, followed by um, Western Europe. Um, and right now what we're seeing in terms of what we see future growth is uh, South Korea, I think is going to be um, one of the largest trading centers for Bitcoin and other digital currencies, and Japan.
0: Who do you consider to be your, your peer set or your competitors?
1: I mean, everyone's a competitor at the end of the day, because it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship. We use a lot of our, release exchanges for pricing, so obviously we need an underlying price, but we also compete for trading volumes because once you've gotten Bitcoin, you know, we don't compete in the you know exchange cash for Bitcoin. But once you have Bitcoin, then you know if you want to trade in and out, you can use a derivative, or you can use margin, or you can just go in and out of cash to Bitcoin. So it's kind of like okay, we're competing for mind share of traders and how is the best way to get that exposure that they would like. So you know we're competing with everyone and working with them at the same time. So yeah, <laughs> we're all frenemies, I guess.
0: Are there other cryptocurrency derivative exchanges, or are you guys the largest one?
1: Uh, OKCoin is our biggest competitor in China, I and mean, then other than that, there's no one else who comes anywhere close to our volumes.
0: Given the recent rise in price of Bitcoin and other um, altcoins, have you seen sort of volume shift away from you know just Bitcoin options and swaps to other altcoins, or is the majority of your volume still concentrated
1: in, in Bitcoin derivatives so um, for BitMEX, the majority of our volume is concentrated in Bitcoin or dollars but at the market as a whole given the recent surge in the price of ethereum um, I would say that ethereum now trades um, greater volumes than Bitcoin at least reported volumes on exchanges and so now that we're moving into a you know a post Bitcoin world where you have all these other currencies gaining significant traction in terms of market cap and price we're going to see much more competition between the different uh, tokens and currencies depending on what they claim to be used for
0: from an exchange business model perspective can you talk a little bit about how bitmex differentiates itself relative to other cryptocurrency exchanges like maybe coinbase that, that people in the us have heard of
1: so BitMEX is purely a contract exchange. So we do not engage in the in the activity of exchanging a fiat currency for Bitcoin or exchanging Bitcoin for another digital token or another digital store of value. So that's where we are probably um, one of the only um, exchanges, if you want to call it that, that only deals in contracts or uh, derivatives. And then in terms of our business model, it's very simple. We charge a transaction fee every time a user trades our product Um, and you know it's nets out to about 0.05 percent is the fee that we charge to trade our product
0: a hundred times leverage is you know obviously a lot of leverage structurally how are you able to offer that much leverage to your customers
1: so the first thing is that um, we built our whole entire exchange on using the kdb um, technology it's a vector-based data based language, programming language, and it's used by basically every large investment bank and high frequency trading hedge funds. So this technology gives us extremely fast processing speeds and and we can do large amounts of number transactions and do them correctly. So some of the other programming languages that many exchanges use are not suited for high frequency trading of any type of asset. So that's the first thing. Uh, And because we've built our exchange in a very um, generalized manner and to scale, we're able to do a large leverage because the big problem with leverage is that a small move in the price will generate um, liquidations from clients. And those liquidations need to be cleared extremely quickly. Otherwise, um, you get, you know, cascading margin calls and other situations, and you don't want customers um, trading at, you know, very off-market prices. It looks bad for the exchange looks bad for the industry as a whole. So uh, it's really a technology issue that we're able to offer the highest leverage and speed in the Bitcoin industry.
0: Have you faced any issues scaling your business with the recent, you know, rise in, in price and volume of cryptocurrencies? Have you faced any issues with getting new customers on board or opening up accounts?
1: So um because we do not handle Fiat money. Our client onboarding process is is you know absolutely autonomous and automated I'd say. So a client all they need is a verified email address. They sign up, uh, verify their email address, and they're presented with a Bitcoin address. They can deposit Bitcoin, and within one network confirmation, which is about ten minutes, they can be again trading. So that process requires no humans. Uh, you can juxtapose that to a traditional exchange like you say Coinbase or Kraken where if you want to send them your U.S. dollars or euros or whatever currency, that needs to go through the banking system. Uh, and obviously, there's delays. Um, somebody might have put the wrong instructions on the transaction, which generates a lot of friction for sending up customers, and you know, generates a lot of support tickets. So we have been totally fine with the surge in interest. Um, our client onboarding process has not been affected. In terms of our trading technology, as I said, we built it with uh, industry standard uh, tech that has allowed us to scale with no issues. In 2016, we had a total of one minute of downtime over 365 trading days, 24 hours a day. So, our trading technology is, in my opinion, the best in the cryptocurrency industry.
0: Wow, that's a really impressive statistic. What types of investors are eligible? You guys aren't technically part of the banking system. Can you be an American citizen and buy uh, or transact via BitMEX, or do you only focus on non-U.S.-based customers?
1: We only focus on non-U.S.-based customers, and it's purely a regulatory issue. Um, And I'd say that for any of our competitors, I don't think there's any Bitcoin-based derivatives platform that offers its products to U.S. customers
0: do you see sort of the the u.s regulatory environment uh becoming more favorable when it comes to cryptocurrencies and altcoin trading in the future um or do you think that most of the development is going to continue to occur offshore
1: i think that the u.s will lag behind in terms of um the breadth of products offered for digital currencies uh, trading volumes and the innovative nature of the companies, and mainly that 's because uh, the u s is intent on on applying you know banking regulations to essentially uh, industry filled with startups so if you look at the exchanges in the u s who are able to comply they 've raised you know hundreds of millions of dollars to do that, and they 're focused on pleasing regulators and not pleasing their customers, whereas you come out to Asia where there 's much um, more, I guess, easier, or there's more allowance for new ways of doing things because, in some cases, the traditional banking system doesn't really work for the country, then you get much more innovation. And that's why you see the trading volumes, uh, a lot of the largest trading volumes in China, South Korea, and Japan, not in the US.
0: We talked about sort of trading volumes out of China earlier, earlier in our discussion. You know, how exposed is your business model to? you know regulation in China around cryptocurrency flows and have you thought about any ways to maybe diversify your portfolio of, uh, of products away from you know Chinese RMB denominated transfers
1: so uh, as i said we don't handle cash so technically we're not a, we don't exist in China and um, we're an offshore company uh, someone has to have bitcoin before they can trade on bitmex which essentially means they're going to have to go through whatever the KYC and annual policies are for the relevant exchanges onshore in China. So we're not a party to any possible um, people evading capital controls. Um, If you deposit Bitcoin and BitMEX, you can't turn it into, say, U.S. dollars and then wire that out to another bank account. So we're not really a conduit for all of that. So a lot of the things that the PBOC, People's Bank of China, the central bank, uh, have been focusing on is around making sure that the providence of B is accounted for properly by exchanges. Now, that's not really our business. We don't, allow you to, we don't allow people to give us RMB. We don't do any sort of transfer. So um, we're not really exposed to uh, regulatory um, risk per se in China. And what we have seen is that um, the regulators have been very permissive of Bitcoin trading. PBSC did not shut down Bitcoin trading earlier this year. They just put some roadblocks in place to make it conform to a more normal exchange operations. Um, like the removal of leverage, the mandation of uh, trading fees, the upgrade of the KYC and AML policies of the large exchanges. And then after about three months, they then allowed them again to process Bitcoin withdrawals. So trading in China for Bitcoin, while well, the volumes are down because there's no more margin trading onshore and the they had to remove the free trading, there's still a significant amount of interest in China. And the you know the nominal number of people in China who have Bitcoin know what Bitcoin is is much larger than anywhere else. So it still is a very exciting place for digital currencies.
0: Overall, what do you think it will take for more institutional players to enter this market? You see a, a potential future where people are trying to, you know, hedge their portfolios using Bitcoin derivatives. What's that threshold that you think would be required for sort of the big players to enter this space?
1: So the first thing is, I think that a large institution or a large money manager needs to be comfortable with the counterparty risk of the exchanges. So unlike you know, a regular retail investor who might just buy some Bitcoin and hold it in their own personal wallet, if you're in the trading business, you're going to have to hold Bitcoin and other digital currencies on the actual exchange so that you can transact. Uh, And that opens yourself up to the exchange getting hacked, the exchange stealing your money, or all the other issues uh, that exchanges face in the industry. So the trading opportunity in terms of the amount of money they they can make from this has to be sufficiently large enough so that they are willing to take that risk. Now, as the trading volumes have skyrocketed this year and the total industry has over a $100 billion market cap, I think that uh, question has become easier to answer and their institution are getting warmer to the idea of holding Bitcoin on these exchanges. And then just in general, the trading volumes still need to get larger. So I don't foresee you know, a Goldman Sachs trading desk um, transacting in Bitcoin yet because they just can't make enough money to move the needle to be worth all of the issues that they have to face. Trading Bitcoin, learning how to store it properly, possible regulatory issues because, as I said, the majority of the volume is not on U.S. regulated exchanges. Um, this is one of the issues that the SEC noted in their uh, recent disapproval of the RegalVaults uh, Coin ETF. So um, that is, I think, some of the bigger issues. Now, a smaller firm, uh, prop shop, they are getting more interested in trading Bitcoin, and some of them have dipped their toes into actually market making and putting on certain strategies in Bitcoin. So I definitely can see a future where a firm like Jane Street, Susquehanna um, those type of firms will get involved in trading Bitcoin well ahead of, say, uh, a Calpers or you know a large investment banking trading that's providing markets and/or doing proprietary trading.
0: You mentioned this, the Winklevoss ETF. I know there's been a lot of interest in the U.S. recently in Bitcoin-denominated or Ethereum-denominated ETFs. You know, do you see that as a potential you know entry point for? large institutions to also get exposure to the market in the, in the future or?
1: Well, I think the ETF will be a game changer for uh, Bitcoin, uh, Depends on which country lists one first. So obviously the SFC sort of punted that decision. It's unclear what what the timeline will be for another possible date where they could approve an application. Now, I think there are some players working on an ETF listed in Europe, possibly getting a USIT. Certification. So I'd say either U.S. or Europe. If there is a you know traditional wrapper where a retail investor can essentially log onto their stock trading account and just click and get some Bitcoin exposure, the liquidity is going to dwarf the um, actual underlying exchanges, which will obviously lead to a spike in the price. And then traditional asset managers can then you know market making ETF. They can get exposure via the ETF, and they never have to touch. Now, they obviously implicitly trust the fund manager to properly secure all of the Bitcoin assets, but if they're comfortable that the regulators approving their application um, did the the proper due diligence, then that concern should melt away, and you will see a shift of a lot of trading volume on um, ETF-type derivatives listed on exchanges. Now, right now in, I think, uh, Stockholm, there's an exchange traded note Uh, Basically, ATNs, you take the credit risk of the issuer, so it's not an ETF per se. However, that ETN um, is doing very well in terms of trading volume, and the firm that owns that ETN called um, Gabby Global Bitcoin Advisors, uh, run by Daniel Masters and a few other um, experienced commodities traders, they are trying to get a properly listed ETF in Europe. So, I think the US Avenue is probably closed for a year to two years, but I look to Europe to list one first.
0: You know, in the past several crypto exchanges have been hacked and funds have been lost. Can you talk a little bit about how BitMEX ensures maximum security um on the funds that it holds? I guess
1: listeners should understand one concept, what we call a a hot wallet.
0: And so a hot wallet
1: basically means that there is private keys, or you know, the ability to send Bitcoin on a server connected to the Internet. And so let's say that I you know, load $100 on Coinbase, I buy some Bitcoin, and I want to withdraw that Bitcoin immediately to my own personal wallet. So the exchange does this programmatically and automatically using a hot wallet. So you, you authenticate your withdrawal, and then uh, the server will send you back, uh, sign the transaction, and send Bitcoin automatically. Now exchanges usually keep, you know, one to five percent of their total uh, deposits that they have in, in a hot wallet, and because it doesn't require human oversight to send Bitcoin, this is the, the preferred way for hackers to steal Bitcoin from exchanges. So uh, in 2015, early 2015, Bitstamp lost five million US dollars due to a breach in their hot wallet. Um, Bitfinex lost. Uh, a few hundred thousand dollars in the same year due to a breach in their hot wallet and multiple other exchanges usually are hacked through a breach in their hot wallet. Now that's contrasted to what we call a cold wallet. Um, Usually that's um, where the private key is stored on a piece of paper that's printed out and stored in a, a bank security deposit box. And to access those Bitcoin requires a human to physically get that piece of paper Um, load up a Bitcoin wallet, and then physically sign a transaction. that's the most secure method because the Bitcoin private keys are not connected to the Internet. So the first thing that BitMEX does is we're a derivative exchange. So our clients don't expect to have immediate access to their Bitcoin. So our first policy that we enacted is there will be no hot wallet. We only do withdrawals once per day, and all of the withdrawals are done manually by uh, two out of three of the co founders. Now we use a um, technology called multi signature, which basically means M of N uh, signatories need to authenticate a transaction before it can be broadcast to the network. So we have a process around this, and because it's manual, we only do it uh, once a day. Because we only do this once a day, it allows us to uh, check Alcohol you know, outgoing Bitcoin from Bitmix. So you know, a lot of times we'll message customers who are withdrawing large amounts of Bitcoin and especially to addresses they haven't sent to before or if they don't have two factor authentication enabled. And this has enabled us to date to have no incidents of us being hacked or someone getting access to customer bitcoins. Uh, and if somebody wanted to take down the BitMEX website, there are no private keys on the internet. So you know DDoSing our exchange and maybe getting access to some private keys is not going to happen at BitMEX. And so that is how we have minimized uh, the threat to our Bitcoin wallet.
0: Shifting gears a little, are there any developments in FinTech broadly that are particularly interesting to you? You know, in the US there's been a recent interest in ICOs, initial coin offerings. Do you see maybe an opportunity in the future for BitMEX to support you know derivatives trading on these types of altcoins so yeah
1: we we think the ico market is a revolutionary way of raising money from a large amount of people without a large amount of overhead. so you know for initial coin offering, the major difference between that and the traditional IPO is you're not buying equity in a company per se, but you're buying rights to use uh, a decentralized application in most cases so The tokenization of companies allows them to access the world's capital markets, you know, the 90% of people who will never participate in the equity markets or the private markets and get a small amount of money from a large number of people and essentially bypass the traditional venture capital private equity model of um, raising funds for a new venture. This is extremely powerful for uh, teams of developers. If you can produce an app that will have a use case and will be used, you can sell the right to use this application directly to your customers. So not only do your customers get the benefit of using your application, they also are incentivized because they essentially own a piece of it to tell their friends about it, uh, get more people to use it, uh, so that this token that they have bought has a value because the underlying application that it's native to is used. Now, at BitMEX, uh, we think of uh, this market as white for using derivatives to bring market discovery. So, usually what happens is a team will have an ICO, it'll last for a period of time, uh, and then there'll be sort of like a blackout period. You've subscribed for the ICO, and you'll know you'll get your token, say, a month or two months or three months. But in that period, there's no signal as to what the value of that token should be, because a lot of times these projects are um, in the preliminary stages of launching. So, there'll be developments in terms of uh, going behind schedule, or maybe they've got a new partnership with a large player, and that will affect the perceived value of this token. So what we do is we launch a um, Bitcoin margin futures contract on ICO tokens before they list on the secondary market. So this allows people who want to lock in possible gains from the contribution period till now, they can sell these futures contracts and go short, and all they have to do is pledge Bitcoin. And on the long side, people who have missed out on the ICO because a lot of these things are sold out within seconds are able to purchase a derivative and gain economic exposure to the ICO before it lists on a secondary market. So, the most, I guess, the biggest one we've done so far is uh, Zcash, and that was uh, last year. So, we launched a futures contract on Zcash versus Bitcoin before um, Zcash began uh, mining. And so people were able to speculate on what the value of Zcash versus Bitcoin would be three months um, after the Genesis block. And we aim to replicate that with uh, other large tokens. So right now, we have a Tezos, an ICO contract. Tezos is another large deal. I think they've raised over $200 million so far. Um, we have a contract on EOS, which is another um, protocol that has just launched. I think they've raised two or $300 million so far. So it's becoming a preferred way for speculators and hedgers to gain exposure on the long or short side to a particular ICO.
0: Do you plan to expand your ICO derivatives product to all ICOs, or you know, how do you evaluate which ICOs are are worthwhile versus others that that may be uh, less worthy?
1: Uh, I guess it's a little bit like hot or not. So. We only like to uh, list ICO futures contracts on the controversial deals. Usually, they're controversial because either it's super shady and people think that uh, these guys are scamming and they've gotten a lot of money, so we give people the opportunity to go short, or the deal is is so large it attracts interest. Um, So, and Tizos and EOS have all, you know, both combined raised close to half a billion dollars. So the market cap, the implied market cap of these coins, is multiple billions of dollars. That's sufficiently large to generate interest from our traders. We don't should generally deal in the smaller deals, you know, sub half a billion dollar implied market cap because we just can't generate interest enough interest from our traders.
0: Have you guys raised any financing or, or funding or?
1: No, I mean we basically we did some family and friends in 2015 and then we got profitable, so we didn't really need to raise any money. Um, so yeah, we've been. You know, we own most of the company, you know, the vast majority of all the shares, so, and we're profitable, so you don't know, need to raise any money, which is a good place to be.
0: Have you ever considered launching an ICO for BitMEX? Uh,
1: I mean, we thought about it, but the issue is we don't really know. Like, we are a little different because most ICOs, is I build this protocol or application and I'm selling you a token that has to be used on that, you know, whatever, that app. So it doesn't have any equity rights, it doesn't have a cash flow stream. So if we were to do an ICO, I, the only way that really people would buy into it is, is that they get a, a piece of fitness, or they get some sort of trading revenue dividends. And once you do that, and it's a security, and then depending on what where the what country people buy this thing from you off of, then that's unlicensed security unless you go through particular processes. So it becomes very it it takes away all the sexiness of an ICO because the sexiness is Here's a website. Here's an address. If you want to get in, send some send some money, and we're going to sell you this token that you know may never ha- doesn't have any value unless what we built is actually useful to the wider community. Um, so you, you see very few security like ICOs because number one the op- the upside isn't that big. So you know, yes, buying equity in a good company you can make some money, but buying into the next Facebook-like application for the crypto space is much bigger. So people like to invest in those. They don't want like to invest in something that they can actually model and conceptualize and, okay, here's the cash flow, You know, I can apply a model of multiple to it. Here's the value. And I'm going to invest. Those, are the, those ICOs never do well because the people don't want that. They want them to be like Facebook, the next Twitter, the next Snapchat, which are, you know, unprofitable, very risky ventures with no ability to attach a traditional, like DCF or comp, comp multiple on.
0: If we take a, a step back and, and think through sort of where the overall cryptocurrency market is going to be in maybe five or 10 years, you know, what's an ideal end state and where, where do you see BitMEX operating in the future?
1: I think the question that many people are asking now is, is this a bubble or will we continue? And really, it's a question of will you know, high net worth individuals, you know, people with over probably, you know, 100,000 liquid assets. Will they put a small percentage of their net worth into the digital currency ecosystem? If you believe that's gonna happen because of increased awareness due to the amazing price rises over the last two years, then hundred billion dollar market cap is gonna be eclipsed quite soon. We could be approaching $1 trillion within you know, one to two years. In terms of an end game, I think that uh, there will be a token for every type of online application. There will be um, different currencies with different communities in purely a digital space. Um, and there will be one king, sort of the digital gold, sort of the reserve currency for the decentralized world purely on the Internet. Now, right now that looks like it's going to be Bitcoin, but there definitely will be other challengers to that. At BitMEX, uh, we're agnostic to which digital currency or currencies become the most widely held and traded. So we just take a currency as a common form of collateral. We just want to be able to service the most amount of customers and offer them products at a very low price and be able to onboard them essentially uh, for free. So we see ourselves as being a place where anyone anywhere can trade any type of financial asset as long as they can provide a suitable form of uh, centralized money to us as collateral. And so, you know, we aim to uh, get into using Bitcoin as collateral to trade traditional assets. Uh, later in this year, we will offer an equity total return swap that is collateralized in Bitcoin and gives certain um, jurisdictions in the emerging world the ability to buy and hold a synthetic share of a blue chip U.S. company and invest uh, and get access to traditional products that they might never be able to access using their traditional domestic currency. And so essentially, you know, at its end, we are sort of like a crypto investment bank, but we don't cater toward high net worth, we cater towards retail investors or those who've been traditionally left out of the financial industry.
0: Do you have any tips for fintech enthusiasts, warden entrepreneurs who are interested in getting more involved in the cryptocurrency space?
1: First thing is, is take take an amount of money that you can afford to lose, and uh, experiment with buying and selling Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other of these digital tokens. Um, get your own digital wallet, play around with it, send money to your friends, um, see the different types of services that are offered. And then if you really want to get into this space, start going to local meetups in wherever you are based. Everyone in this industry is very friendly um, because you know, it's still super small, even though in 2017 there's been a lot of you know, good press about, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and and other applications, we're still just scratching the surface of what this can do. So everyone is very incentivized to talk to new people and get them in the industry, especially people from a very well-regarded MBA program like Wharton. So I think that uh, it'll definitely open doors, go to the meetups, stay interested, and you'll definitely be able to grab coffee or grab a Skype call with any of the leading figures in uh, the industry
0: there's a huge interest in, in cryptocurrencies in the US these days and even at Warden we've just seen like a huge surge in the last 2 or 3 months of people really interested in this in the space but this is like way more advanced like i think people are still trying to grasp the concept of what's a cryptocurrency what's an ico and the fact that you guys are already operating in sort of the derivative space is is pretty amazing to see sort of how liquid this market is already Post the recent surge, I know like the the SEC is getting a lot of pressure from some big hedge funds to try to allow an ETF, some sort to be registered in the US. So it is kind of an arms race between like Europe, the US, Asia, in terms of who wants to be sort of known as the, you know, the leader when it comes to innovative cryptocurrency startups. I know like Coinbase, for example, announced they're trying to raise at a billion dollar valuation. And like there's been some rumors that they may start to offer derivatives contract if uh if the s e c allows them to do it, but yeah obviously... i mean it'd be great i hope
1: i hope, I hope that there is more offerings of derivatives and it just gets increases liquidity increases interest, and allows you know more trading to happen so i'm really i think the cme is going to have a futures contract for bitcoin um by middle of next year, so I, there's definitely going to be some sort of uh u s based derivative for you know you know, approved high-network clients. Yeah, I can't wait for that to happen. It's going to be great for everybody.
0: That concludes uh, today's podcast. Thank you so much, Arthur. We look forward to seeing BitMEX continue to be successful and pave the way in the cryptocurrency market. Thanks again.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks a lot.